This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but Christ remains on his throne. So what does it mean to live in the light of that truth rather than the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, two Christian apologists who believe that true hope and realism go hand in hand. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And today we're going to play a special game of Cameron's going to explain to Nathan why something is important. And that something is uh, something that's probably been flittering around in your headlines or feed somewhere. And this all has to do with Dave Chappelle. And as a non-Netflix user, I'm a little behind on the times on the actual content of all of that. But there are certainly enough uh, clips and articles and reviews and controversy going on around right now that I think there's plenty for us to look at here, not just... No, it's not really just about Dave Chappelle. It's about a broader cultural mood that we live in and how and what that means and how we navigate that in our time. So, Cameron, can I kick this over to you to explain why Dave Chappelle is once again making the headlines? First of all, how many of our listeners are even remotely surprised that that Nathan doesn't have a Netflix account, <laughs> by the way? And he's a little he's a wee bit off the grid in that aspect. But yeah, so we we do so obviously Dave Chappelle is making waves, which is pretty common for Dave Chappelle these days. His last comedy special, Sticks and Stones, was very controversial also. I mean, if you've watched that, you will know that he goes after just about every cultural pressure point that you can think of. May I start on a personal personal note here, Nathan? Just Yeah, please do. I kind of well, so I think what's important here is to also know my kind of conflicted relationship to Dave Chappelle. So I'll just I'll just put my cards on the table here, I suppose. I think he's not only a, a brilliant comedian, I think he's he's brilliant, period. Okay, so there's that fact. So you might say, I'll say with some maybe a little bit of cringing, I'm a Dave Chappelle fan. <laughs> And I always, I think I would always say it like that. I'm a Dave Chappelle fan. So there's the one fact. <laughs> Cameron McAllister is a Dave Chappelle fan. But also, it's also true that a lot of people who have a kind of sensibility and tone and approach that I find very, very disagreeable, a lot of people who, who just basically are, <laughs> who basically have an a, approach to cultural engagement that I think is completely misguided a lot of those folks love dave Chappelle also and they love him i think for many of the wrong reasons so i i, I don't know I, I hope that makes sense so i both like dave Chappelle and i feel very conflicted for liking him i'm this is setting aside by the way the nature of the content that he puts out there which is often extremely crude and crass and in some cases, even hostile. So I'm, I'm I'm putting that aside and bracketing that. I'm just talking about... So I guess I would have to say in recent years, Dave Chappelle's fans are... Give me pause for thought. I don't... I don't necessarily... I think that Dave Chappelle's fans, many of, many of them, are embracing him for the wrong reasons, and they 
I feel very conflicted about that. That I, I guess we can pause there for a second, Nathan. You look like you're there's smoke coming out of your ears, or you're you're, you're at least you're, you're grinning. <laughs> well, no, I was just thinking through you know the whole like um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing that you normally hear, and it almost sounds like you're saying, well, the friend of the thing that I sort of like concerns me. That's 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 right. So a lot of people I think are are embracing Dave Chappelle not because they necessarily like his comedy, but because he makes all the people they can't stand angry. Mm -hmm. Now that's not true of that's not true of everybody, I think. But a lot of people see him as a political ally rather than a brilliant comedian and that that ironically is is a symptom of an ideological age and that's kind of that's the very thing that Chappelle was actually railing against <laughs> and so it's it's a strange dynamic because ideology creates this really this this very kind of politicized landscape where speech is is actually very carefully guarded it has to be carefully guarded because all of a sudden if if you say something that offends the wrong people you can get in a lot of trouble so that that's kind of what is giving Chappelle so much of his comedy fuel but then on the other hand some of the people who like that he's pushing back against that they like him for ideological reasons so they're sort of ironically reinforcing that sort of very dynamic that he's that he's kind of challenging. Yeah, well, let's... So, anyway, that's that's all. That's a very long caveat to begin off here. <laughs> yeah, but so I want to pick up on the thing you're talking about, um, distinguishing between him as an artist, as a comedian, and as a political ally. I think we want to point out that there is a very rich history of the intersection of art and politics, and and that has always been there. So, so there's that element of it... Um, that isn't new, I don't think. I'm trying to figure out why. Well, there is yeah, a rich it, it intersection. Yeah, I of... think so. We, we are we we are coming down to a place where we're looking for. Are we looking for entertainment? Or are we looking for political allies? I mean, that's that's a fascinating question. Well, yeah, and so let me just go back to what you said there earlier. There, so it is inevitable that all art is a is among other things, a product of its time and environment. It's not only that. There are, there, are, there are some critics who would argue that art is nothing more than a byproduct of a particular time and place in history, and I don't think that's true. That's a, that's a separate discussion. But it necessarily includes political concerns, and that's just that's, in some ways that's just a truism because you can't write from nowhere you can't think from nowhere. You can't create comedy from nowhere. And comedy, in fact, uniquely, comedy is very, very much part of its context. If you watch something from 50 years ago, for instance, I mean, you'll you'll find that there's a lot in there that's probably that's going to be offensive. Not only is it not funny, it's offensive because cultural mores change. I mean, look at our look at even sitcoms from the 90s, right? I mean, Friends is considered by many to be very unenlightened and, you know, very politically incorrect now. That's not even from that long ago. Well, there's, but I, there's an not, even more recent version of that. I'm actually not making a point here. 
Yeah. Um, I was listening to an interview a year or two ago with one of the actresses from The Office who said she didn't believe that that show could be filmed exactly now. And that wasn't that long ago. But even though Michael is cringeworthy in multiple things on political correctness and cultural awareness, even the fact that the show is joking about his inability to see that is now seemed to be deemed insensitive. Uh, so, yeah, we don't even have to go back to the Friends right. in the 90s. We can, you know, when did The Office, you know, finish up? I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Oh, gosh, that was, I mean, we're talking 2000s now. So, yeah, very recent. So part of what's happening here is just this this kind of cultural acceleration. And part of that's due to technology and, and all of our different forms of very, very fast mass media. But, you know, setting aside that the, the question of the rightness and the wrongness of all of this, it's just a factor of comedy in particular that it's very much going to hone in on the specific circumstances of, of a particular moment in history in a context. So that's, that's just, I think that's a feature that we need to take into account here. But also, classically, I mean, part of what, so let's get nerdy for just a second, and then let's talk specifically about Dave Chappelle's The Closer, which is his latest, his latest release here, which by the way, is one of the more, it still remains one of the more popular pieces on Netflix. And that's not necessarily an argument in its favor, by the way. I'm I'm getting so tired of people using that as the lip, as as the litmus test for success. Well, lots of people like it, so therefore it must be good. Well, <laughs> there's some terrible <laughs> things that lots of people like that I wouldn't I wouldn't want to use that argument for it. But anyway, so comedy. Peter Berger, the sociologist, right, in his A Rumor of Angels, that tiny little book where he. A lot of people will, will use his phrase, signals of transcendence, and signals of transcendence actually mm -hmm. comes from that little book, A Rumor of Angels. But one of the signals of transcendence that he that he looks at, and signals of transcendence are just these everyday kind of deeply human actions that point beyond themselves to a something more, whether it's a, chi it's, it's a child having a nightmare and being afraid and going to see its parents, and then the parents reassuring the child that everything will be, quote, okay. And that that kind of contains some pretty major assumptions into it that everything is OK, because that means that, well, yeah, the universe actually there, there might be more than meets the eye. And maybe the fact that you're mortal and that there are dangerous things, scary things in the world, maybe that doesn't have the final say. All that just in the phrase, it's OK. Well, another signal of transcendence is humor. And he points to humor in specific instances of historical tragedy. So, for instance, there are a lot of Cold War jokes. There are a lot of, have you, if, if you've ever heard Soviet humor, Nathan, have you ever heard any Soviet jokes? Nope. About the Soviet Union? Well, maybe I have. Let I me give know, you one. I don't know that I have. Okay, I'll give you one. And the reason I have these is because my, my dad in the, in the late 70s was smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. So he was doing a lot of work in, in the Eastern Bloc and, 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 and he was in a lot of Soviet nations. But here's here's one that that he that he told that's relatively not not as as much of a lightning rod. But uh, so a Russian soldier is marching down the St. Petersburg street and he comes across an old man hunched over a Hebrew text. And he says to him, old man, what are you doing? And he says, I am I am, you know, I'm learning Hebrew. He says, why are you learning Hebrew? And he says, well, when I get to heaven, I want to speak language. He goes, aha, and what if you go to hell? And he goes, oh, it's okay. I already speak Russian. 
And what's what's remarkable about that is okay, you're taking but what Peter Peter Berger is going to point out is you are actually transcending your circumstances in a manner of speaking by laughing at them. Mhm. So it's that's not that that's a joke. You could just say, well, he's just this is just trivializing pain and suffering. But on another hand, it's pretty remarkable that you can be in the midst of real pain and sorrow and tragedy and that you can joke about it. There's something really powerful about that. There's a, so there's a transcendent quality to humor. And there's also a, a sub, deeply subversive quality to humor. So here's where Chappelle comes in. Humor is transcendent, but it's also subversive. And it also, part of the stock and trade of humor is that it, it's going to mock conventions, especially societal conventions. It's gonna, conventions that's going to flout those. And especially if there's stuff you're not supposed to joke about, if there's stuff you're not supposed to talk about, any serious comedian is going to be drawn to that like a magnet. Because that's, and part of what comedy also uses is tension. If So this is why in some ways, if you look at a culture like the UK, think about England in particular, a lot of English humor, the engine driving it is because so many a key kind of aspect of British sensibility, if we could speak in really broad, maybe even stereotypical terms, is that English people can be easily embarrassed. <laughs> and that makes for some extremely funny stuff. And that's been that's been the case, and especially when when e when when England was even more in kind of the very the sort of the very classed and stratified stages of 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 its of its culture. I mean, that still continues in subdued form today. But even if you from the novels of Jane Austen to to the Jeeves and Wooster stories, that's I mean embarrassment is is really what makes it work so well, and that continues all the way to you know current comedies in in the UK. But the point is, humor flouts conventions, and it's often subversive, and that's where Dave Chappelle comes in. So he's the guy who basically he's got enough money and influence to where he can basically afford to say. Look, I'm not supposed to joke about this. I'm not supposed to say say this. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway because I am a comedian. I'm not a politician. I am not a motivational speaker, and I'm not your pastor. And so it's just it's an inf interesting confluence of these different elements. But I've probably talked enough. So <laughs> now Nathan has to get us out of all of yeah. the holes that I have just dug. Well, let me push back a second there on some of these. So I like your idea of humor being transcendent in some degree. I'm wondering, though, if in our time we haven't seen a shift from not everything that is labeled as comedy is comedy. And it seems like in the last few years we see many people who are professionally comedians just saying stuff under the under the banner of comedy, but it's not really commentary. It is political commentary. Um, it's it's just them talking. You're like, if this wasn't being said by a comedian, it wouldn't be funny in any situation. So I don't know if that's a new element where comedy has drifted into analysis of uh, it's it's not transcending anything now. It's it's totally in the imminent frame. And that is where the offense comes from. Because if I'm reading things correctly, you know, part of the offensiveness of Dave Chappelle's The Closer was that he was also, in some ways, talking about a hip-hop artist who had been widely uh, condemned for uh, 
I forget exactly what it was, homophobic slurs or something like that. And there was this whole big thing about this hip hop artist. And, and I remember, you know, it was just, just me saying at the time of like, wow, I mean, how, how could you be offended by a hip hop artist? In some ways, the art form in and of itself is about being offensive in so many ways. So in my mind, I'm, I'm clearly delineating the category of the art form from the content. But on the other hand, I think we now have people who are hiding behind the, the label in order to not do what that label originally meant. So I'll give you an example. The Babylon Bee. Is the Babylon Bee satire? Well, it can get away with all kinds of statements that are not satirical because it labels itself as, you know, fake news you can trust. And so you put kind of this funny, funny satirical spin on it as a category, but then say things that are deeply political. Uh, and I'm not saying that I don't get a kick out of a lot of Babylon B headlines. I mean, it, there is some funny s stuff there and we have to be careful. Um, I think they need to be careful in the slander category. Um, but do you, do you see the question I'm asking? When, when are we disguising something under the label of an art form and it's not actually that thing anymore? Does that, does that question even make sense? I, I suppose it does. I mean, I think, yeah, so the, you've got with in the case of somebody, it, it reminds me a little bit, Nathan, of when I was younger, I would say a lot of really unkind things to people. And then I'd follow with <laughs> just joking. Right. And it's a similar sort of dynamic. Yeah. yeah. So you, you if you hide behind a label of satire or if you hide behind the label comedian i suppose that can serve as a kind of shield for you to make statements that are that would otherwise be taken as just yeah at face value well I, but you can say well no i'm i'm just i'm just being funny so but so get us Were you saying something there yeah so get us into the mindset here of because the Chappelle thing the closer isn't controversial because of just because of stuff dave Chappelle said there are comedians who I'm sure have said much cruder things, including he himself in the past, um, and others. There, there's a there's a question here of when does comedy produce violence, or when do words um, infringe upon the safety and security of people of of different communities and that sort of thing. And that seems to be where Netflix was pushing back and continuing to support uh, support might be a loose word there and continuing to to host. Uh, Chappelle is part of their programming because they're saying we don't believe that essentially this is a paraphrase we don't believe that things said in comedy translate into real world violence so some people do think that so where where do we start how do we how do we sort that out uh, yeah. categorically well for well well category well we can we can wrestle with it a little bit we're never going to solve that one <laughs> Oh, the, the nature of the relationship between, well, the nature of the relationship between the content that we consume and our actions is a complex one. And this crop, this crops up from time to time. Do you, I mean, this is a very sober example, but I've, I've been put in mind of this recently. But if you, if you can remember back to the Columbine shooting, mm. do you remember that a big part of the discussion at that point were certain musicians that these, that these young men were listening to? And one of them was Marilyn Manson. And Marilyn Manson, guess what, actually has a song called Lunchbox, which is about a school shooting. 
So that was a little bit on the head, right? And so, and also the Nine Inch Nails were coming up quite a bit. The German band Rammstein, and so, and so, all th- all three of these bands are extraordinarily dark in their content and had very very rebellious and subversive imagery all over their albums and their lyrics were cataloging all sorts of apparent human behavior. Now, and and also you'll hear video games come up in this context sometimes too. Movies, horror films, certain horror films in the past have been highlighted when they've been connected to crimes that have looked similar to what's what takes place in the movie. So I think the way we wrestle with that, Nathan, the best I can do here is that there is there's there's a complex relationship there. It's probably not a direct relationship, but we are deeply formed by what we what we take into our minds and our hearts. As Christians, I think if we look at this holistically, we we would say that nothing that we're taking in is purely neutral. It's playing it's it's shaping us in some way. And I said, so some of the cultural concerns surrounding Dave Chappelle's The Closer, then there's some legitimate, there's some legitimacy to the concerns, because if if you're speaking in very strong and mocking and possibly even inflammatory terms about a particular group of people, whether it's the trans community or whether it's a religious group, I mean, let's just face it, that does have an effect. No, so we're we're both Christians. I mean, let me ask, let me turn a question around on you, Nathan. Would you say that the popular portrayal of of Christianity has had an effect on how people view Christians and how people treat Christians? Oh, sure. Yeah. And that's historically been true of any religious group. So that's so, but so the question there. So then, uh, wouldn't it be. Well, so then, isn't it fair, though? Just for, for, isn't there's a certain level of legitimacy then? For people of the trans community, for instance, to to say, "Hey, we have real concerns here when we're be we're when we're being spoken of in this light." In the same way, we're gonna we we talked about in an earlier episode, sort of a common playbook, a common cultural playbook that a lot of us pull from Christian and non-Christian alike, and it's largely a political playbook, and it has to do with with really who sort of. <laughs> has the dominant voice when it comes to values. So on that same token, if if certain people are saying, hey, the, the words he's saying here are inflammatory and they're damaging and they're dangerous, I have, and I'm just saying this, this is not going to be easy for everybody to hear, but I have heard Christians say stuff along similar lines about portrayals of Christianity in the media. Whether it's from Bill Maher or whether it's on The Simpsons or, you know, one of the numerous portrayals. But I I've got a deeper kind of thesis about all of this, Nathan, that I want to try out here in a second and, and see if this helps us make sense of, of some of this in a moment. Okay, great. Let me but ask I'll, you I'll a question. You re- maybe, this will transi- <laughs> maybe this will transition us there. So are you personally offended by Bill Maher? Yeah, actually, sometimes I have been a little bit offended by him, but I don't, I don't want him to stop talking. I, I think, I think he's, he is in some ways a a prov- he's a provocateur, so I suppose I'm not I'm not as offended by him. I I do get, yeah, I guess offense is the right word because I get tired of the of the consistent caricature that's used when there are so many other examples. He could give a more robust portrayal. I think he just uses a lot of straw 
you know, sort of straw men. So I guess I'm a little bit offended, but more irked. I'm irked by Bill Maher. I don't know if that that takes you where you want to go. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I'm, yeah. Well, I'm just wondering what's what's so in the last 20 minutes, we've been looking at art and politics and um, offense and and what nothing that we've said is totally new. So so why is some of this stuff more controversial yeah. now? Or why should we be surprised that there's a story here? Okay. That's, I guess that's the question. I'm ready for um, that one. Because in my simple mind, I wake up and see uh, Dave Chappelle said something controversial and people are offended. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yep. I know. Next. Well, <laughs> that's that's how that works. So. Yep. Yep. Well, it's a bit like when they had. I don't know if that transitions to where you want to go does, or not. It does. So thank you. This was not planned, but it, it, it reminds me actually a little bit of when they have Ricky Gervais, when they've had him host the Golden Globes, and then the next day, like, oh, he said something extraordinarily offensive. I can't believe it. Really? You can't? Why? I mean, this is what he does. Why, why did you have him host the Golden Globes? Of course he did. In fact, that's why you had him host the gold, Golden Globes, for heaven's sakes. So, now here's here's Cameron's deep underlying thesis. I'm not sure that this makes sense of everything, but I think this is what's happened. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, there's just nothing sacred anymore. Everything's trivialized. Everything is mocked. Our culture just has, there's nothing sacred in our, in our culture whatsoever. There's no respect. There's no manners. All societal norms are being thrown out the window. That's not true at all. There is always something sacred. Always. There are always taboos. Sometimes they just shift. So I think part of the, the the sort of tension some folks feel when they see a Dave Chappelle being attacked left, right, and center. Now, let's, let's also just set aside the fact that those attacks aren't really having that much of an effect on the popularity of his stuff. But putting that aside, when they see these attacks, they think, okay, well, look at Look at the three major monotheistic faiths, right? Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. They are mocked relentlessly in our shows. I mean, look at something like South Park. I mean, there is there is routine blasphemy all over the place. And for the most part, nobody in popular or elite circles bats an eye at all. Oh, no, this is great. Oh, no, stop, stop being so uptight. It's yeah, just comedy. Yeah, you can comedy. put a crucifix in but it. But Dave Chappelle comes out with this, and all of a sudden... <gasps> you, you, can put, you can put a crucifix yeah. in a jar of human urine yeah. at an art display in New York, and it's... Yes. Roll with it. It's, it's, it's compelling. It's subversive. It's, it's really interesting. It's starting great conversations. But if Dave Chappelle, his comments in The Closer... Suddenly, oh my goodness, how dare he? Well, he's going after something sacred. We've moved away from, so religion, traditional religions, clearly don't occupy sacred territory for us anymore in our culture, but human identity and sexuality absolutely does. That's sacred now. So you can mock religion relentlessly. You can you can mock many many subjects pretty relentlessly and very in very crass terms. And for the most part, most people will 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 give you a pass. They won't bat an eye. But if you mock identity, human identity and sexuality, you're now a heretic. So that's my my thesis is the sacred has shifted over to almost entirely to human identity. 
And what Dave Chappelle, the conventions he's mocking all have to do with our radical identity experiments, which have really come into full fruition here in recent years. And that's why he's heretic. That's why he's in trouble, because he's going after something that's sacred. He is, culturally speaking, blaspheming. Okay, so I see your thesis and I raise you. Part two. Um, because it, the, the thesis does have some explanative power in the sense that if you frame this as a, as a sacred category, then you're justified in righteous indignation if the sacred is trampled upon. And so when people start to ask the question, you know, why are people so upset about this? It's because if a sacred boundary has been crossed, people respond with righteous indignation. And it's also the reason that you can go after things that the majority of people like. So, you know, people love to put up the Dave Chappelle statistics of like what the critics rated it versus what the audience rated it, right? And they're uh, wildly different. That's why people love, in some ways, he's poking at, you know, what the politically correct are telling us can be said versus what the people really want. And so there's this, um, what the population and what our handlers <laughs> narrative, uh, there's that dichotomy happening. And so they would say, well, why would Netflix cancel Dave Chappelle? I mean, look at the millions of dollars. There's, you know, so much support, so much money. Um, but this goes back to what you were saying at the beginning is a lot of people can like something and it'd be wrong. And if you believe that you are, you have a righteously held position, then you don't care about numbers in order to think that your will needs to be done there. So, so that's just a, an add on, I think, to where you are already going with that, but it helps those who I think are confused about the response to it make sense of it of this is the same as sacrificing a, a pig on the, on the altar of the temple mm -hmm. of the Jewish temple, right? It's, it's a yep. sacred boundary that's been crossed and you're going to see hostility because it's religiously motivated hostility, not just, uh, yeah, but you brought cranky people, uh, but you've giving Netflix reviews. Well, sure. But you've also brought in helpfully another point of tension here that makes this more complex it's a sacred value for a small, very elite group of people in our culture right now. It's not necessarily a sacred value for, for everybody. So let me tease that out a bit. It's a sacred value for the people who are largely creating most of our culture. It's a sacred value for our elites, right? But what you're finding here with the way technology works now... It's so much more democratized than it has been in the past. Because of the nature of the internet, because of the nature of some of the more popular mediums right now, podcasts like this or streaming services, people, there's just, it's, it's easier to get past gatekeepers. And so what's happening with somebody like a Dave Chappelle is that the American population are voting with their feet, so to speak. So... He may not be popular with the cultural elites because he's violating their sacred territory, right? And he's, he's sort of going into all of that ta taboo zone. But that's not necessarily the settled convictions of many people on the ground here just in the United States. See, this is another weird tension that keeps cropping up politically as well. Because it seems there's this major disjunction between those who are the major culture creators in the United States and those who kind of set the tone, and then the rest of the nation, the citizens of America, who don't seem to hold on to all of their values and their convictions. 
And so you see that tension crystallizing with Dave Chappelle. He's going after some of the sacred cows of the cultural elites, I would say, and over and of some very influential people. But on the other hand, those numbers, there is a sense in which those numbers don't lie. I don't think those numbers, I don't think you want to use numbers as your, your kind of one argument for the legitimacy of something. But what the numbers do confirm, I think, is that you have many people, just regular citizens who kind of sit in the middle on all of this. This is this is what you often bring up, Nathan, who who kind of just navigate this territory in less extreme, less ideological terms, and for whom Dave Chappelle is also just a very funny, brilliant comedian. So anyway, that's a that's another way to sort of complicate my thesis there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me let me do a little spinoff here and get you to help me think through this. So, I was talking to somebody the other day who works for the federal government in a department where he said, "Look, I he said I need to interact with um, people who are in, in, you know are gay, whatever you know, all all sorts of different identities." And he said, "That's fine." He's like, "I get along with them great. I hand out the awards. I do the thing. I mean, it's my part of my job as." Uh, what I do, and I, I appreciate these people, and you know, this all's good. However, he said, I do rail against being told that I have to embrace every aspect of their private lives in order for me to be a good human. And so, what you see there is a, a reaction against. It's not just that a a certain and maybe a narrow percentage of the elite have ideas about identity and sexuality, it's the imposition of those onto the rest of everybody else that makes people really squirm and push back. So I would guess that the vast majority of the people listening to this podcast eat kosher food sometimes. You know why? Because uh, a lot of packaging, you look at the little stamp on the corner of your, maybe it's a bread bag or a soda can or something, you'll see the little kosher stamp on there, right? So this has been produced in a kosher way because there's a, a percentage of our population that has a sacred commitment to something that has to do with food preparation. And so that industry has made a commitment to enabling that small percentage to be part of what's happening. Now, for the most part, um, I'm happy to eat a well, kosher pickle isn't completely connected to that anymore, but because it's not a value statement for me to be able to do that, it's accommodating somebody else into the system, but it's not saying that those ideas are then imposed on everybody who participates in eating that pickle. And so I think that's where some of this tension comes up is that I think we live in a culture where most people are totally happy to accommodate people with different sacred values, as long as it doesn't feel like those sacred values are being imposed upon them or upon us, let's say. And so this is a really interesting learning position, I think, for Christians to see how non-Christians have felt about Christians in the past when you have sacred categories that are held by a percentage of the population that you feel like are being foisted upon you. This is where the separation of church and state comes out. But if your thesis is right, that we've moved the boundaries of, of what's secular and what's religious into identity and sexuality, then what does the separation of the, of the quote-unquote new church and the state look like. And that is why uh, when we 
okay, so I, and this is totally off the top of my head here. So are we are we saying that what we're facing with the Chappelle show is the difficulty in wrestling with the separation of the new church and state? Yeah, I think in some ways that's a healthy picture of it. I think you can you can look at it like that. I think in part of the hope in this particular episode has been to to of course not tell you what to think. That's not what we're doing on this on this show, but to kind of help you, help us all to make sense of the shifting dynamics when it comes to this discussion. And given what Nathan's saying, even with this quote new church terminology, it points to a basic fact of human nature, which is that we are inherently spiritual and religious creatures, and that's going to find expression in some way, no matter how seemingly secular we pride ourselves on being. And the fact of the matter is, and I think more and more people are beginning to see this, we inhabit a moment with with very, very clear sort of sacred lines of division. And once we see it in those terms, I think some of the impassioned responses here begin to look, they, they begin to maybe not look less hysterical in some instances, but I think they begin to make a little bit more sense. We can see some, there's, there's actual reasons behind it, but also we as, as Christians can see, gosh, what it looks like a little bit when the shoe is on the other foot, so to speak. You know, when your when your 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 deeply cherished values and convictions, it's one thing when they're attacked. You might say it's probably more potent and it's worse when they're mocked. And that's what's happening here. So I think in I think we gotta wrap this up because and I think we can return to this, and I don't think that Dave Chappelle is gonna be a stranger to the headlines anytime soon. But I think one of what I what I hope that we can take away from from this episode here is sort of not just making sense of the shifting dynamics, changing cultural mores, but that we can we can grow in our sense of empathy here and our understanding as we look at the nature of offense right now. Yes, there seems to be a lot of double standards, a lot of inconsistency written into it. There seems to be some very we we haven't even mentioned the phrase cancel culture here but we can we can bring that in here as well but i think it's helpful when when we look at it in those terms and we just think about it again as as christian men and women we're concerned with loving god with all that we are and loving our neighbors and when people are in a position where their cherished beliefs and convictions are being mocked even if those are cherished convictions and beliefs that we have serious disagreements with, we can at least enter empathetically into that struggle and understand, hey, these people are being, they really are being hurt. And at the very least, we can, we can challenge, but we can also, we can care. What we don't want to do is be callous. So to come back full circle to what I was saying earlier about Dave Chappelle, I like I like him as a comedian. I don't necessarily endorse everything he does, of course. I think his his whole manner and comportment is very crass. But I have I would just say if you're if you're embracing Dave Chappelle because he's the enemy of your enemies, maybe rethink that posture. Just just as a as just take it as a, a gentle challenge from from one Christian brother <laughs> to a Christian brother or sister. Just don't embrace them as as an enemy of your enemies. That's that's a practice that just isn't generally helpful. 
But you've been listening to Thinking Out Loud. Thanks so much for continuing to tune in and, and listen in here. And if you want to know what we're up to, you can also head over to our website, www.toltogether.com. That's T-O-L-together.com. And you can check out what we're doing. And if you would like to see us continue reading books and being nerds and discussing things together and you want to support those efforts, we've got a donate page there as well. Thank you so much. It's just a joy to be back with you. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book one of our speakers or make a donation, visit thinkingoutloudtogether.com. And lastly, if you like our podcast, spread the word. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating. It really does help.